Welcome to the Beer Healer Interviews. I am your host, Chris Lukinenko, and I scour this big brand land of ours, looking under fermenters and behind mash tuns to find the best beer stories to share with you. The Beer Healer Interviews is now available on all major podcast services. If you like the show and want to help out, can I ask you to simply rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or your preferred podcast service. Just leave a few words and a rating and the podcast gods will do the rest. By doing this, you'll help others to discover the show more easily and hopefully get more people interested in this great industry that we call craft beer. In this great craft beer world that we all love, breweries come in all shapes and sizes. And the paths that they take, from being a twinkle in the eye of their creator to putting a beer in the hand of a punter in a bar, are very unique, and they're wide-ranging. Some routes to market are like driving down a highway. They're pretty direct. You know, you learn your craft, build a brewery, and get on with it. Others can be more like a winding country road, a bit slower to get to the destination, maybe a few extra curves to navigate, but ultimately, you get there in the end. Another thing, sometimes your road trip is in a car that you have borrowed from someone else. That's kind of how I see the journey for these brewers who choose to build their craft beer dream by the gypsy or contract brewing option. While you have the benefit of not having to shell out for your own stainless, there are still the same kinds of decisions to make. Maybe there are even more decisions to make because of the extra moving parts in the process. But what would I bloody know? I'm just a ridiculously good looking host of a podcast. I've never been a gypsy brewer in my life. However, my guest tonight has done exactly that. His name is James McCall, and he's the Director of Brewery Operations for Shapeshifter Brewing Company, a gypsy brewery out of South Australia. And best of all, he wants to help others who want to become gypsy brewers. He recently wrote a pretty comprehensive blog about it on his website. There are a lot of home brewers that listen to this podcast, many who have dreams of going pro. I thought it would be a great idea to get him on and tell us all about what it is to be a gypsy brewer. So welcome to the Beer Healer Interviews, James McCall. Thanks for having me. Uh, I told you that was long, mate. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I just started typing and it kept going and going. That's all right. No worries. <laughs> mate, uh, first up, can I say thank you on behalf of all the home brewers who would, uh, you know, who are interested in going pro. Thank you for going to the effort to write that blog article. It was great. Yeah. Yeah. It's something I kind of had in my mind probably for, oh, I think more than 12 months and uh, just one of those things that kept getting pushed put back uh, pushed back um but i finally found some time to put it down and yeah some people have gotten some good value out of it so i think i'll be doing a few more yeah no that's awesome i don't think we've seen anything like that in the craft beer world since maybe black hops yeah, and black hops are one of the you know one of the you know breweries that were one of the inspirations for me and they've been really helpful with all the yep. stuff that they've written and shared over the over their journey so um yeah they're definitely an inspiration for me trying to be a bit more open with how things work for us as well. Well, we'll leave a, a link to the uh, to the article in the show notes, but let's see if we can build upon that in this interview. Let's tell your story. Let's maybe impart some wisdom, talk about your dreams for Shapeshifter. I think uh, the listeners are, are really going to enjoy that. So, so first up, do you remember when you first tasted a great beer? I reckon the first craft beer that I remember getting was uh, Sierra Nevada Pale Ale, probably just same. my local Dan Murphy's from memory. Um, and I think I got it a few times. And then one time I was checking out with a six pack of that and the bloke at the checkout was like, if you like that, have you tried the torpedo? I'm like, what's the torpedo? They go, oh, he's like, this, it's IPA, it's this India pale ale. And he was raving on about it. So I went back and got one of those. And that was 
I think the first year, that's the first one I remember really blowing my socks off and kind of in the big boy cans. I, yeah. In the big boy yeah. cans. Yeah. yeah. Nice. And, um, if it wasn't that, uh, or in addition to that, it was the, uh, OG hot hog from feral. Oh, um, brilliant. Back yeah, when yeah. it was that label with the pig on the front with the, yep. the spikes all around it. I remember yep. that was probably, yeah, one that I really started the journey on as well. So do you feel yeah. like you got hooked from that moment onwards? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think, um, I think from there it was always trying to find the next interesting thing. Yep. Um, and, and ever since really, and only from, from there, it's gotten crazier. You know, the range available <laughs> now is just a yeah. you know, hundred times what it used to be back whenever that was probably the back in my day. or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so when did you start messing around with the home brewing? Uh, actually I just had that, uh, memory pop up on Facebook. I think last week, oh. I reckon it was, um, August, 2012 was my first batch. Cool. Um, and I think it was a, a American brown ale from memory. I did the same thing, but yeah. I, had to t- I had to tip mine down the drain because it was horrible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I think I think that one was barely passable. I did some yeah. shockers back in the day. I remember one of the ones I tried to do was a, an IPA, but I aimed for 130 IBUs for some oh, stupid geez. reason. <laughs> and, and that one definitely went down the drain. Did you have the John Palmer book? Is that why you started with the brown ale recipe? Yeah. I, yeah, I, same. yeah I do have that book. That I can't remember why I did a brown, but if it's in there, that's probably I why I think it that's was. the one that they, they put in there, you know, that's the hardest to fuck up, yep. even though yeah. I did. <laughs> so- <laughs> Yep. Uh, and yep. and um, of course you were doing it uh, all to save money, weren't you? Oh, oh, definitely. That was the reason. <laughs> uh, it wasn't to have twenty something liters available at any time. That <laughs> um, was, yeah. Well, I guess also to kind of make the style of beer that I, I thought that I wanted at the time. Um, yeah. I think I think that back then as well. I was I was like getting grey imports of like Stone IPA and some Dogfish Head. Oh yeah. Um, I remember them being really good, but they probably were pretty bad. They were probably pretty old by the time they got to me. Cause yep. Same. The old one twenty minute dogfish. Yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. So I think I was trying yeah. to like, you know, try and replicate that as best I could. But, I'd um, love to get Sam on this podcast one day because I like he's been a big influence in what I what I do. I, I you know really enjoyed his book and yep. um you know but then obviously he's, he sold his his brewery to. Uh, to, is it, who is it to? Um, Boston. Brewing, oh, Boston. Yeah, Boston. Yeah. And you, you don't really see, see nor hear from him much anymore, but he was he was very influential. I actually emailed him one day. Yeah. Just uh, I forget what it was all about, but uh, yeah. he actually emailed me back. We had a couple of emails back and did forth. He? I thought, oh, that's pretty bloody cool. Yeah, because I actually did the same, man. Like I, I got his book, Brewing Up a Business. Yeah, um, yep. And I watched that TV show he did. Yeah, um, brewed, uh, what was his called? Um, Brew, Brew Wars? No, um Oh, that was gr- like when he did all the different um, brews in, you know, he did the one with the Miles Davis record, then he made the chicha yeah, and he- Yep, yep. Yeah, I um, loved that. That was the one so, that got killed by Anheuser-Busch. Oh, did it? Is that why it yeah, stopped? Yeah, that's why it stopped on the Discovery Channel, I think it was, I, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I just shot him an email and it was just a little thank you. It was like, oh, you probably won't read this, but I'm, you know, a budding brewer from, you know, Australia and I just wanted to say thanks for all the stuff you put out. was never expecting a reply, but the fact that you got one is awesome. Yeah, yeah, I was, I was surprised. I was surprised. I, I have tried to get in contact in recent times to see him. I could get him on the uh, podcast, but I think after the wholesale and everything, he's sort of gone a bit quiet. But you know, maybe one day I'd like to interview my uh, brewing heroes. Oh, that would be a huge get. That'd there we great. go. Yeah. So, so it was 2012. That's eight years ago. That's a long time um, to be doing home brewing. How mm. long were you going at it before you thought, I reckon I could have a crack at you know making a, a job or going pro or whatever? 
Yeah, well, it's, it was a long journey, and um, I think one of my one of my kind of shortfalls, I guess, is 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 taking too long to to kind of <laughs> hit, hit go on any plans that I might have. I mean, yep. I did I did get married in 2012, and then my first daughter was born in 2013, and then another one in 2016. So, yep, um, it was a busy time. You've of been my a little life. busy, yeah, yeah. But um, I did do so here in Adelaide. We've got the TAFE at Regency Park, um, yep. and Stephen Nelson there is yep. pretty much the brewing guru. Um, yeah, the boys from Little Banger on recently they talked about him. Yeah, yeah, he's yep. uh, yeah, he's pretty much had his finger in every craft brewery pie here. Um, yeah, and so yeah, I, I started off uh, doing his. Um, he did a, a mash brewing course, basically just a, a home brewing kind of course there at the TAFE, uh, where you kind of did a there was an esky mash time, and he had a oh, yeah. three vessel. A uh, little stainless pot system and kind of just taught you the basics of brewing. Um, so that that kind of got uh, me interested in that. And then I think maybe a year later, I did a um, sensory training course there. So basically, he oh, runs cool. a runs a TAFE course there where you learn to you know smell and taste um, all the different features of beer and all the off flavors. Oh, I'd, I'd love to do that. Well. I'd love to. Yeah. It's excellent because they've actually got a room in there where it's, um, you know, individual seats and there's the dividers and there's a little door that opens and they push out a sample and <laughs> you basically do uh, BJCP judging. Yeah. Uh, if yep. you want to be a beer judge, that's one way to really get your head around it. Yeah. Um, so that was really fun. And um, yeah, then I've just kind of, that's when I got more, more into the local craft beer scene here, visiting guys like Ryan and Phil at a little bang there. Um, and basically, yeah, I I always wanted to open a brewery or start my own, you know, gypsy brewery, but I never really thought it was a realistic goal for whatever reason. So I actually started a, um, craft beer bus tour company which was very oh, really? short-lived. It was the Adelaide, Adelaide Beer Bus. Not many people know this. It was the yeah. Adelaide Beer Bus. I uh, kind of, you know, built a website and kind of got the branding up and going. And I ran two tours with uh, basically friends and friends of friends. And the reason I did it was so that I could kind of become friendly with the local brewers. Anyway. It was kind of like a you know, going in the side door kind of thing to get to know, you know, those the brewers around here. Yeah. Um, so I did a couple tours there and then I thought, you know what, stuff this, like, if I'm going to do it, let's do it. So I thought uh, I'll enroll in the um, the big boy uh, brewing course at TAFE there, the Certificate 3 in Microbrewing, and that was in uh, October 2016. I did my course there. So yep. that's a, a six-week course, two weeks on, two weeks off, two weeks on, uh, and then, you, yeah, you get your Cert 3 in Microbrewing. And oh, nice. uh, basically from there... I had I had plans to kind of try and start my own brewery, um, and I probably spent about six months after that course, you know, getting quotes from all the equipment manufacturers yep. and getting all the price lists from all the raw material suppliers and kind of figuring out how this whole you know game works. And um, then did you go home to the wife and say, uh, "We need to uh, remortgage the house," <laughs> something like that? Yeah. Yep. How much are our kidneys worth? No, it, was, uh, it, it did get to a point where I I was like, "This is too much for one person." And um, yep, I had met Kev, um, the other half of Shapeshifter. He was on the yep. same course. Um, and, oh, okay. And kind of during the course, we would kind of catch each other 
you know, in between sessions and kind of like, oh, what's your plan for, you know, this certificate? And what, what, what are you planning to do after this? And we were both kind of saying we want to open a brewery or we being a little bit coy about, you know, where <laughs> we wanted it to be and all that. Yeah. And so after about six months of me trying to go alone, I, you know, called up Kev and I'm like, you know what? How are you going? Because I've kind of hit a brick wall. What if we team up? And, yeah, we caught up over a coffee around the corner uh, from my work one, one afternoon and we kind of decided to try and go it together. So oh, that's cool. when we really started giving it a crack. Um, and then, yeah, not shortly after, uh, shortly after that, we did our first batches. No. And so the, the idea to go gypsy was, was purely a financial decision that you just couldn't, you know, pony up the half a million or whatever it costs uh, to yeah, you know, do well, some brewery yeah, that's it. Like I actually never wanted to be the gypsy brewer because um, I kind of wanted to establish, you know, I'm looking at guys like Little Bang, Big Shed, Prancing Pony, all the, yeah. all the um, established breweries here. I kind of saw what they did, start off with a small kit and just kind of grow from there. But kind of what I had in mind of what I really wanted to do, yeah, there was a, there was a money problem. And in the time that we had kind of, spent stuffing around, you know, getting all our ducks in a row, I think maybe three or four other breweries popped up uh, on uh, the scene at the time. Yep. And it got to a point where if we don't get in the market now and kind of try to get establish a name for ourselves, we will yep. get left behind. And yep. it seemed like it was an exponential growth here in Adelaide. And we, we knew that we were kind of ahead of the curve back in 2016. Um, as like, well, compared to Sydney and Melbourne, you know? Um, so yeah, we just had to jump in even though we didn't really want to, but I think it was the, uh, it was the right move now looking back to kind of get established. Rate, review and subscribe. Three words that struck a chord in every sensitive 44 year old podcaster who dreams of telling stories of craft beer. And something that I talk about a lot, but I really can get this little potty into more ears and therefore grow craft beer for all of us to enjoy. So even if you listen elsewhere, if you've got an iPhone, you've got Apple Podcasts, and therefore you can help out the show. Those three words, rate, review, and subscribe. And so what, did, did you guys just had a big list of shit on the wall that you had to tick off before you could get started? What was the list like? Uh, to start up the actual brick and mortar brewery, you mean? To get yourself started with the contract brewing. Oh, uh, contract brewing, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, the name was a big. <laughs> the name yeah. took for, and I think that's a story for a lot of people. You know, you yeah, know, we, went, we spent so much time on a name, and um, you know, we've even, uh, yeah, actually, you know, there's so many things. Happen. I'm actually only remembering right now. We went. I'm through good a bunch like that, aren't I? Yeah, we went through a bunch of different names based on where we were going to be because we actually got into quite extensive talks with a few, you know, locations around Adelaide. Oh, wow. Um, over the time. And I think that's kind of what set us back is because we were nearly going to be, you know, Forestfield Brewing Company or Bowdoin Brewing Company. Or, you're like you know, looking at um, at greenfield sites, or trying to tack on to a pub with a brew pub model, or uh, yeah, we even went down that path as well. Up up until about twelve months ago, we were very close to um, tacking onto the side of an existing pub here. Okay, um, yep. but that didn't eventuate either. So yeah, we kind of went through. We would we were having those discussions before we 
even knew what we were going to make as far as beer. We were looking to kind of establish a site first, yeah, okay. build the brand based on the location, and then um, kind of move out from there. But it was either you know the the landlord or the or the lease terms weren't really what we were after, or um, you know we didn't feel like it was a a balanced relationship between what we would bring to the, the table. Yep. So, um, yeah, that's, that's kind of, that was the journey for in 2017, pretty much all of 2017 and, um, most of 2018 until we decided to contract brew. And then, um, yeah, to get that organized, we basically had to settle on a name, which we eventually did. Yep. Um, come up with some rough branding, um, decide what we we're going to do as far as, beers um, did you have a, a beer range in your head at that stage yeah basically so we, we launched with four beers and um basically two of them were ones that i wanted to do and two of them were ones that kev wanted to do so okay. um, and it, we tried to kind of come to market with um four styles and we'd hope that almost anyone could could pick a style that they would like yep. everyone from the most casual drinker not even a craft drinker potentially all the way up to you know a full-on craft drinker um, so we had a session, single hop, uh, American pale ale, a New Zealand hopped Pilsner and a hazy IPA. Yep. Um, and we deliberately chose four, even though the expenditure on our part to bring four beers to market yeah. was four times what it could have been was because we have seen a few um, gypsy brewers try to come to market with one beer. Yep. And you know especially when you're approaching wholesale accounts if you've only got the one beer and especially if it's something like a pale ale which everyone's got you know yeah. it's pretty hard to you know well unless you filter or, and you've got your xpa that's winning awards it's pretty yeah. bloody hard <laughs> well, yeah exactly <laughs> so at least we know that if we walked into places and we got we, we got these four beers and they could even choose one or two or three or four whatever suited them as far as what you know, would sit well on their shelves or maybe yep. the price range that we were selling them wholesale for. Um, I feel that that was a, a pretty good method for us to, you know, start with a half decent distribution, you know, pretty early on. You, you mentioned earlier about you needed to get into the market. Um, often, you know, the knock-on gypsy brewing is that the consumer doesn't have a home or like mm-hmm. a place of worship, a physical place with, you know, mm-hmm. with which to connect to the brand. Yes. Did, was that the trade-off? Is like, we've got to get into this market. And we'll push that aside for now mm-hmm. because if we don't, we're going to, you know, we're going to miss the boat here. Yeah. Basically it was, you know, there's pros and cons for, for, for what we did. And we just decided that to, to get into the market first was, was worth it. We, we yep. have had people asking from day one, where can we come and try your beers and yeah. whatnot. So yeah. but luckily we've been able to, you know, have the odd keg here and there around town that we can say, oh, we don't have a place right now, but, you know, our hazy pale is pouring you know, at NOLA at the moment, you can go and try it there or, uh, yeah. you know, what's your local bottle shop? We'll do that. And yeah, we, and we've always been, you know, planning on building Shapeshifter HQ this whole time. So if anything, it kind of helps with the anticipation, I think, because people mm. are getting a feel for our brand now, what we like as far as, you know, um, our beer, our messaging and stuff like that. So I think our tap room will eventually um, be able to, you know, encompass that whole thing and, and I think people will be excited to to finally come visit when we when we yeah. have a space to share. Yeah, cool. <laughs> so one of the one of the big things you got to decide decide upon, you know, pretty early on is where you're actually going to brew your beer. I mean, mm-hmm. all the other stuff's important, but without a brewery, you're going nowhere. Mm-hmm. How big of a decision was that for you? 
it was um it was it was kind of made for us because we oh. were pretty sure that we were going to launch in cans. Um, we didn't want to do hold, uh, Stop. Back, <laughs> back that truck up. You're yeah. going to, you're in Adelaide. You're going to launch in cans. Yes. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Bottles. Oh, wait. Oh, no, oh, no, no, no can. I was thinking, why the fuck are you going all the way to North Queensland? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Okay. Cans and bottles. Cans Silver and bottles. Silver bullets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. righto. Yeah, 375 mil <laughs> tinnies. So, As you were, we'll, we'll cut that out. This will be smooth. Just keep going. Pretend <laughs> <laughs> it didn't happen. Yeah. No, yeah. Um, no, yeah, because, you know, personally, I think cans are superior to bottles in almost yeah. every way. Agreed. So yep. That's what we're going to do. So the problem that we had is that the number of breweries here in Adelaide at the time that had a canning line and had capacity ah. to host a contract brewer was yep. slim and none. <laughs> okay, yep. So I was, you know, talking to the – um, little van guys and the big shed guys. But when we were looking to launch, which was late 2018, you know, going into spring and summer, the busy time, um, they just didn't have the capacity to take us yeah. on. Okay. Um, so yeah, we went across the border to Port Campbell, so, uh, Sow and Piglet's Brewery down by the 12 Apostles. Okay. Um, John, the owner there, he was in our TAFE course. Um, oh, wow. <laughs> and he just happened to have a canning line. Oh, and cool. Yeah, so we reached out to John and said, would you would you mind contract brewing our first batch of beer for us? So uh, it was logistically challenging going yeah. and driving all the way over there. I, I drove, you know, with a van full of, you know, rattling kegs and empty cartons for our first packing day. I can't remember how long it takes to drive there, but it would have been more than, you know, 10 hours. Um, <laughs> it was, uh, yeah, it was good fun. But, um, no, yeah, we got our first beers in pack over there until such time as uh, Big Shed um, could, you know, take us in. Come on, don't you? Ah, right, early, okay. Early 2019, right. yeah. Well, there are so many factors to consider when you, you choose a brewery. It's a bit like going on a date, really. Mm-hmm. How important was it for you to have someone that was a mate or someone that you could share a beer and a chat with, you know, after the brewing process? Was was that a consideration for you? Oh, massively for me yep. personally because, um, you know, I'm my biggest critic, to be honest, and, you know, I have these recipes and I have these ideas of what I want to do. And for me to feel comfortable talking about those kind of things, it was really good to, you know, have people that you'd already uh, had a relationship with um, because, you know, it's, I show them this recipe and if it was someone I didn't know that I was afraid they'd just laugh at me and go, you're putting that in that beer? Like, what, do you, <laughs> what do you think you're doing, mate? Like, obviously, I'm a, I was a rookie at the time and I, I still am. But um, to be able to, you know, have mates there and go back and forth and have that trust, you know, um, that was yeah hugely important. So I've been very lucky that yeah um, we've kind of had that from day one with everyone we've worked with so far. What what other considerations are important for you know choosing a, a contract brewery? Oh, in hindsight, you know, you want something that's close to home, so you yeah, can fair enough. Al- always pop in and kind of have your finger on the pulse on what's happening there. Um, because, you know, uh, the, the guys that are working at the brewery will, will look after your beer as best you can, but you know, uh, you've got, you know, you got your plan for what you want your beer to be. And if you're going, if you're able to get in there as often as possible and test it and measure it and make sure it's ticking along nicely, make any adjustments that you might want to do that they might not have decided on your behalf, you know, so I'd recommend that. Um, 
So luckily I'm, a, I'm less than five minutes from Big Shed where I am. So it's, nice. it's pretty handy for me. Um, uh, you know, pricing comes into it. Yeah. Um, from what I've, you know, found from asking around most breweries as far as contract rates are pretty similar. Um, but it can, you know, um, it can vary. So you just kind of want to figure that out, just make sure that it's still going to be viable for you. How does it work? Is it like, is it per per liter that you're pushing through their system? Is there a consideration about the ingredients being used or what's, mm. what's it all made up of? Um, you can pretty much have them handle the whole thing. Um, for us, it's that there's a, a set fee basically for to use the brewery. Right. Um, they can supply all the ingredients for you. Yeah. Okay. Um, we have opened our own accounts with all the, you know, grain, hop and yeast suppliers. Yep. Cool. Um, just kind of to avoid one big whack of an invoice, to be honest. Uh, yeah, okay. Just split up the invoices a little bit and manage cash flow because cash flow is hard enough as it is in the brewing business. Um, so, yeah, we do that. Um, you know, uh, some some breweries will just charge a set fee to use the brewery and you can pretty much produce as much work as you want. Others will charge per litre. Um, uh, but, you know, it's, you kind of got to negotiate that because you got to consider, you know, losses as you're as you're fermenting you know you drop the hops out drop the yeast out um you know you might lose you know 100 200 liters of just you know true from the bottom of yeah. the fermenter and whatnot um you know and if you're paying you know x amount per of liter. dollars per liter yeah. that's money down the drain i mean it's Isn't not it? saleable, yeah. not saleable anyway yeah um but you know if you can if you can agree on a set fee um, and yep. you're paying for all the consumables it's probably the best option good advice yeah yeah um, absolutely and then if they if they offer packaging on site so up yeah. until up until uh, this year big shed didn't have a canning line they had their bottling line um, and so we were actually producing beer at big shed and then putting it in one of those 1000 liter cubes putting it on the back of the oh, really driving it over to Little Bang, um, putting it into the bright tank at Little Bang, carving it up, and then canning it off the next day. Oh, wow. So It's interesting. There's some guys down in Tassie that sort of, you know, there's one place that sort of uh, in particular shambles it's called that does a lot of the canning for a lot of the others. And mm-hmm. someone said the other day that they've put beer into kegs and they take kegs over to shambles and then put into the cans from that. I don't even know you could do that. That is an option. And, um, you know, ideally – and we've stopped it now, like moving beer in those cubes is not not a great thing, but it right. was our only option. Yeah, okay, um, yeah. It was our only option. Um, and you, you know, you can't you purge it with CO2, put yep. a bit of pressure on it, um, but, you know, we found some some issues with our hazy beers in particular. They're, they're the most prone to oxida- oxidation. Um and pretty much after one batch where some of them were a little bit dicey after we'd canned them, we saw the shelf life on them wasn't that great. Yeah, um, okay. I said, you know, unless we can brew and pack our hazies in the same location, we're not doing that anymore. And so that's yeah. what we've done since. Um, and, yeah, so now Big Shed actually have their own cast canning line on site. Yeah. So uh, we're brewing and packing there. You were saying before it took you 10 hours to get to your first brew that you were working with. It would have taken you 10 hours to get from uh, Big Shed to Little Bang because he's like, I don't want to spill this shit. I don't want to have a car accident. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, you know, that's a lot of precious cargo you got in the back yeah. there. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, um, yeah, those are, you know, I'm glad those times are over at least hopefully for now. Yeah. You don't have to do that anymore. 
And and I'm assuming that you're canning with the silver bullets with the sticky labels that go on them and that sort of thing. Yes. The yeah, easy so, way. Yeah. yeah we well, did. I say it's easy, but there's a lot to consider with those as well, isn't there? Yeah. So so we we chose three seventy five mil cans because I think any less is un Australian. <laughs> um, <but, laughs> yeah. Um, no. Yeah. That's also just the most common you know setup yeah, yeah. for most canning lines around town. Um, yeah, we do our labels ourselves. So my day job is graphic design. So I throw oh, really? it together myself. Okay. Cool. Um, which is, it's nice, you know, everyone, it seems every brewer brings a talent from outside, most of yeah, them engineers yeah. or whatnot, but I managed to be able to make pretty I, pictures. I uh, did write a, I did write a note here today. Um, impressed with branding. Oh, there you <laughs> so go. Wow. Look, I think it's clean, clear, simple, and works really well on the silver bullets. I reckon they look great. Yeah. Well, to be fair, though, i got to sh- give a shout-out to Matt Heed from Take Heed Design. So the other problem with being your biggest critic is creating your own logo. Is It was an absolute nightmare. I, I had some, but everything wasn't good enough. So I actually outsourced just the logo, yep. the wolf, um, to a lo- yeah, local designer, Matt Heed. And yeah, uh, yeah, he, cool. he knocked that up for us, and, and we love it. Um, so basically now I just take that and uh, apply it and, you know, rejig our our labels every time. So yeah. well, you've got uh, the little, you've got the wolf as the logo. What's the little hmm? circly little thing in the bottom right of the logo? Uh, there's the moon and there's a little oh, drop, a, drop a little right. droplet. Like okay. Drop it's it hard to see on my screen tonight. You can, uh, probably, you can call it beer. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Right. I'm with you. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah. So that, and yeah, so we order the labels uh, in bulk. That's another challenge of craft, of, of craft brewing is, you know, you've got, X amount of liters in the tank, how much of that is actually yep. going to end up in the cans, you know, divided by 375 mil, how many labels do we need to order, you know, and, and I'm getting a little bit better at it, but you still either end up a few short or a few hundred over depending yep. on your efficiencies. Can I ask uh, you with the labels mm-hmm. and a friend of the show, Rowling's Labels, um, who do the shrink wrap cans, what's, mm-hmm. what's the, what, why, why one over the other? I'm, I'm just interested to see why you would pick stickers over shrink wrap. Is there a good reason? Well, or? Oh, I mean, I don't, I haven't seen shrink wrap applicators here. Um, oh, that so could I'm, be it. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I'm pretty sure you need like, you know, a heat, a heat yes, tunnel. It's like a bloody oven that you'd put them in at one yeah. end and they come out the other, they're all done. Yeah, probably like a tunnel pasteurizer almost. Um, yeah. I like the look of the shrink labels. They're they're cool, but um, I don't think we've got the ability to do them here. So ah, it's just right. the just the case of we've got the pressure sensitive label applicators on on the canning lines we we use here. So yep. that's kind of what we're what we're doing. Yeah. No, no, fair enough. No, I'm just 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 interested. Just interested. Yeah. <laughs> Not a loaded question. Um, it's funny, you know. You you've got to be careful about your choice of brewery, that it doesn't limit you where you want to take your brand, don't you? Because, you know, whether it be the, the size of the brewery, their packaging options, or the types of beers that they brew or don't brew, mm-hmm. and you've got to try and find one that fits with your vision, don't you? Yeah, and, you know, uh, if you're into anything a little bit left of centre, it can yep. be a bit challenging. Like yeah. if you're saying that you want to you know, make sours, anything yeah. like pedio or lacto or anything like that, you'll get the big no thank you. Uh, generally, uh, um, uh, even even for our Nordic hazy IPA, we use a, a strain of quike yeast, um, and there were a few questions. They're like, "That's not a farmhouse yeast, is it?" Uh, <laughs> you yeah, know, yeah. Use it, which is yeah. not. It's just a regular cerevisiae, as far as I understand it. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, it can be limited by that. Um, but and also, you yeah, know, you know, the systems that they have most most. 
um, brew houses these days are capable of producing almost anything. But, um, you know, f- for a lot of our hazies, we use a lot of oats, a lot of wheat. Um, so, you know, Stuck they, meshes maybe? They're, they're, yep, they're, they're, that's a big consideration. So you don't want to be, you know, ruining everyone's day by going in there and, and causing a stuck mash and everyone goes home four hours later than they wanted to. So yeah. <laughs> you lose friends pretty quick by doing that. So luckily yep. enough, we haven't had any of those. But um, yeah, otherwise I think, you know, you pr- we haven't had any, you know, problems with what we've wanted to brew. Um, I think, yeah, everyone's pretty accommodating. Yeah, cool. styles. Yeah. I was speaking with South Fremantle Brewing last week and Graham Rigo was talking about how they now work with two breweries mm-hmm. because the original one was running low on capacity to brew their beers. So I just wonder, like, is that something you have to think about? You have to have a plan B just in case, I don't know, Big Share Brewing takes off and they have to double their production and sorry, guys at Shapeshifter, you could go yeah. and find another home to brew. 100%. That's exactly what happens. We had... We had a batch lined up to brew this week, but it got uh, kicked down the road a little bit just because yep. of their capacity. And, um, you know, Big Shed are, are ramping up all the time at the moment. Um, luckily, we haven't had that problem yet. Yep. Um, but we are also actively in the stages of almost securing our own warehouse, hopefully in the next month. Um, so I'm hoping that these these issues won't last much longer and we'll be able to have our own space soon. Um, but yeah, backup is always an option. And yeah, we did brew a batch at Little Bang one time because uh, Big Shed were full. Oh, the thing I want to know about is is the production of the the recipes. I've I've got these this idea in my head that you you rock up with your homebrew recipes, scroll on some note mm-hmm. paper, and say, mm-hmm. "Here you go. Can you make these for me?" Or mm-hmm. do you need a real lot of assistance because you're using someone else's system? Like, yep. do you have to be taught to use? Like, how does it all work? It is different from brewery to brewery and it's often yep. a nightmare. So <laughs> I, I use Beersmith to draw up my recipes generally. Yep. Um, <clears throat> well, some breweries use Beersmith and um, if you're lucky, they'll send you their, their equipment profile and you just load oh, it yes. up on yours yep. and plug it in. That's super easy. Um, yeah. Other breweries use like Excel spreadsheets and they're all completely custom built for yep. their system. Yep. Generally, you won't get access to those because they are proprietary. Yep. So, um, yeah, I think my next blog post is going to be on recipe development for nice. commercial brewing because there are some things to consider. Like, first of all, I don't know why home brewers we're always taught, you know, gravities in gravity points when commercial brewing is in Play-Doh. Yeah. So, okay. You right. know, for me, that's I'm still getting my head around switching over to Play-Doh, and you know, if anyone's thinking of getting into the the commercial game switch to play-doh now like, <laughs> i think everyone should just learn play i don't know why there's that different i'm sure there's a what, reason why Why is it so hard to learn it's well it's not hard to learn either way is, is easy but we should all just learn the same thing it's almost like metric and imperial you know i think okay i think i think if you learn i don't know why they teach one when you're homebrewing and then the other one's commercial if homebrewing was taught in Play-Doh, it would make it so much easier, you know, for everyone to kind of just take that step up if they choose to. That's that's what I think anyway. Is it maybe because all the hydrometers have all... <laughs> oh, well, you know, that could be it. I mean, well, I don't know why you couldn't print a hydrometer in Play-Doh, yeah. though. Yeah, that's um, what I'm thinking. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, the, you know, there's... So when I create my recipes, uh, basically you need to... St- Give every give them everything they need to know to be able to run the fermentation from start or well, the brew day from start to, f- to end of fermentation. Really, so yep. you want your 
target gravity, um, your final gravity, um, the yeast that you're going to use, um, your grain bill in percentages um, rather than weights so that they okay. can um, – so it can be scaled to any system. So whether you want yes. 80% yep. ale, 10% wheat, 10% oats, whatever it might be. Yep. Um, your mash temperature, uh, mash time, uh, and then boil time and whirlpool time. If you want to change your whirlpool temperature, I always drop my whirlpool temperature down a little bit. Yep. Um, obviously, all the hop additions during hop the boil and, and temperature. Uh, as far as hops, you if you can tell them up front, you know, what what hops you're providing or you want to use the the hop year um or the crop year and the alpha oh. acids um, okay yep the alpha yep. acids obviously you'd know because they need that to factor in the ibus and stuff but yep. but also yep. the the crop year um basically hops degrade over time so if you're only able to get a 2018 crop of amarillo for example it yep. will have less um you know less utilization of those alpha yes. acids. Yep. So, yep. you know, they'll have that in their system that they can plug that in. Um, okay. And then, yeah, basically the fermentation schedule as well. So they'll need to know um, what what temp you want the yeast pitched at, what uh, what temperature you want the tank set at in case you want it to free rise a little bit or, or whatever. Um, and then all your dry hop additions, how much, when, how long those hops should be in for, whether you want to CO2 rouse them while they're in there when you want them dropped out. Um, and then yeah. so you're giving them all this sort of stuff. Just then, then does someone, head brewer or whatever, sit down with you and say, mate, I don't think this is a great idea or you could <laughs> tweak it this way or how does that work? I haven't had that yet in any nope. direct terms. Um, okay. <laughs> I don't know if that's a good or bad thing. Um, they, they do, uh, you know, it, they are good. They do give me suggestions. They're like, you know, um, you haven't put in, haven't put in yeast nutrient. Did you? Did you want to put yeast nutrient? Oh yeah, yeah. I want to do that. Or, or yep. water pro- water profiles is the other thing oh, yeah. I provide. So I'll give my water profile um, just as far as like the numbers, um, and then they'll they'll plug that in, knowing their their water profile and what their yep. baseline and we'll is, and, and, and they'll yep. add their salts to it. Yep. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, I have asked them. I'm like. Is six grams a liter a lot for a, a pale ale? Like when I was when it was early on, I had I I didn't know what the commercial you know standards really were as far as uh, is this a lot of hops? Is this not a lot of hops? Is this yep. a silly amount of you know spec malt in here? Like um, because you know when it's on a small homebrew scale, I think uh, there's it, it pretty much nearly always turns out pretty okay. But if you if you don't put enough of something in or, or too much of something on a commercial batch. It can stuff things up and that's a really, really expensive, you know, tank of beer <laughs> to, to you don't want to toss it if you can avoid well, it. Was that a steep learning curve for you to like scale up and, and go from home to pro in that way? Um, yeah, looking back, like I really did have no idea. Um, uh, I mean, I think I think the beers that we brought out initially were – were okay, um, but you know, the time spent hanging out with brewers in the breweries, you know, discussing recipes and and design, has only um, helped you know my ability to put together a recipe that I'm more confident of, um, and you know, 
Jason from Big Shed told me, and I'll always remember, he's like, your next beer is always the best beer. So I'm always <laughs> aiming to like yeah, you know, take what nice. I've learned so far and apply that to the next one. That's yeah. cool. That's cool. Yeah. And, and so what if you're like, you know, I don't know, you're making a vanilla porter and you want to add in toasted coconut or mm-hmm. something like that. Is mm-hmm. you, Do you then go through them and say, hey, can you get some in for me? Or, you, or they say, do you have it here on this day at this time delivered this way and you can use it? Yeah, it can go either way. So I haven't used okay. any adjuncts like that. And, I, and that's what I would do, though. If I wanted to put toasted coconut in something, I would say, how do you guys do it? Have you done it? How do you do it? Um, yep. If they haven't, generally, I would look to the supplier. So there'll be suppliers for those kind of adjuncts or flavorings or extracts. And you could probably go straight to them. And they often got recommended dosage rates for what you're looking to do. So you could say, I'm making a coconut porter. And I want to put in real coconut. What would you recommend? And they might say, you okay, know, yep. X amount of grams per liter is what we'd start yep. with, and yeah, that's kind of what you would do because because they know their product better than anyone yeah. else generally. Yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah. And so, what about brew day? Are you actually there shadowing the head brewer on those days? Yeah. Do they leave you to your own devices? Oh, or? No, absolutely not. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, the equipment's way too expensive for me to be pushing all those buttons. <laughs> Uh, no, 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 we we do have to be there. At least one of us has to be there all times on brewing and packaging days because things can and do go wrong, or you need to make a you know director's decision. So we've had times where ingredients haven't rocked up on time, like yep. hops, and we've had to make a substitution on the fly. Um, they're like, "Do you want to put in this or that?" We kind of have to decide in the next five minutes because that's when the hop addition is going in. Um, um, so you, you know, you're fully responsible for the beer that you're making. Um, so you always need to be there on hand. Um, having said that, you know, they do, they do allow us to get our hands dirty. We do, you know, mash out and do all the hop additions and the kettle additions and weigh it all out. So we do get to play brewer for the day. Um, it, it is, it has been really good because now, you know, when we step into our own brewery, we'll have that um that on hand experience um that we can take with us yeah cool so in my homebrew setup on a really good day if i'm doing a really simple brew i might get in and out in four hours what's it like when you step up to the the big game uh for most of the brews that we've done it's generally a 7 a.m mash in time and uh, a really good really good day will be all in tank at about 1 p.m um, so that's what, six hours. Um, uh, sometimes, sometimes it goes a little bit longer, seven till two, seven till three, maybe. So yeah, six to eight hours, um, depending on, I guess, the size of the beer that you're making, how long runoff takes that can generally be the slowest part. Uh, um, okay. Yep. Yep. Yeah. But yeah, but generally it's pretty, pretty good because, you know, these big, expensive, beautiful breweries are made to be efficient, move as much work through as quickly as possible. Um, so that's that's really good for us that unless something goes really badly wrong, um, it's generally a pretty – it's a shorter day than when you're at the office, let's just put it that way sometimes. Oh, yeah, for or, sure. <laughs> and also, you know, i got to say that we don't have to hang around and, you know, clean the system after and stuff. We, oh, kind, of, we okay. kind of get to walk in when, Matt, when we're mashing in, when it's all in tank, we've pitched the yeast. And you know, uh, you know, close the close the valves on the top. Then we kind of go, cool, we're done. See you guys. See, ya. <laughs> See you later. Catch you next time. <laughs> yeah. We're back in a day or two to dry hop it. I was going to yeah. say, yeah. So then you're back for the start. So they they kick it off with the ferment, 
once yeah. it's down to its uh, degrees, and then you're back in a couple of days ready to dry hop. And what are you checking in levels? Yeah, yeah. what else so, you do? So, well, you know, they'll they'll generally do all that for us if we want to. Um, they'll check the gravity, check pH, um, check total tank volume, record what they've dropped out the bottom, so you kind of keep track of your losses. Um, and they will do the dry hopping for you if you want. Um, but we we often pop in there and. Dry hopping is a little bit fun to do, you know. So if we yeah. get there on dry hop day, I'll do that. Um, yep. And um, uh, are you throwing your dry hops in just like naked, or you got like you know how in the homebrew you you get the white sock or whatever? Mm, <laughs> what are you mm. chucking them in as? Yeah, no, just pour them straight in at the top. <laughs> straight um, in. Yeah. I, I reckon you really need to do that just to get the most, you know, most you know of those surface oils out surface of it. on that, liquid sort of thing it. yeah i mean we've got a pilot system that we put together as well it's a um three vessel ss brewtech one and oh yeah um, nice we were looking you know we did have those hop spiders and stuff that you hang on the side yeah. and, uh, or those those cheesecloth bags or whatever you do but, same, yeah yeah um, I, I really think you should just chuck them in um dry hopping can be um yeah, it can be messy on a homebrew scale if using something like the Coopers fermenters or whatnot. Um, yep. So I, I get why people would want to kind of contain them, um, but I reckon you would you will get your best your best results by just throwing them in loose. Fair enough. Mm. Oh, that's pretty cool. So ferments done, and there's time time to can. That's a, that's another touch point for you at the brewery. Mm-hmm. You know, these days are pretty quickly adding up when you have another job to hold down, and you're yeah. talking about doing this for four, five, six beers or however many you got running along. Yeah. It's it's really difficult to be honest with yeah. you. It really is. Like I'm um, lucky that I've been at my day job for quite a while now, had the annual leave banked up and right. uh, yep. my boss is is pretty understanding of what I'm doing on the side. So um, I can, you know, take those days off. Uh, and there is Kev, you know, Kev goes in and does canning days and stuff if I'm yep. stuck at the day job. Um, yeah, so you really do need a little bit of flexibility um, to do it. Um, so, yeah, but we, we we try and get in there. Well, we, we have to be in there every time that something happens like a packing day. Yep. Um, yeah. Yep. Yeah. So how many beers are you guys currently uh, brewing with Big Shed these days? Well, you know, when we started, we we, we kind of wanted to make new beers all the time and never have a core range and always be making something new. Um, that has kind of evolved into some of our beers have kind a of- A core released. range and a few limiteds every yeah, now Yeah, not what I wanted to do, <laughs> no. but, you know, it's, people demand- Sounds like you, you got like all sensible stuff and sort of wearing comfy <laughs> shoes and that sort of thing. <laughs> people start demanding things, you know, they want to have, you know, our Nordic is a, by far our kind of our marquee beer at the moment. Hazy Pale yep. is, is hazy, close yeah. behind it. Um, and also, you know, the retailers, they don't want to be changing out the tickets on the fridge all the time if they can avoid it. Oh, yeah, fair um, call. Yeah. So, so we kind of do have a little bit of pressure on that from that end of town saying, well, but we, we want to keep this one in stock. Why, why are you taking it off the shelves now? So um, that can be a fine balancing act, you know, keeping everyone happy of, of, of the range of beers that we've got available at any one time. We do aim to always have four beers in stock. Um, uh, you know, with you know, as one sells out, we'll replace it with another or rebrew it. Um, so at the moment, we're brewing with with Big Shed. Probably, oh, it might be once every two months or you know six weeks, um, yep. roughly. 
Um, we're ramping up a little bit at the moment, considering we're going into spring and we're trying to um, hold on to some stock for any upcoming festivals, if, if festivals are allowed. Yeah, the year. yeah. Um, yeah. So I'm trying to bank up a little bit of stock because then also, as you touched on before, the fermentation space will get more and more limited as as their production production ramps up too. So we're trying to get in now, you know, pack as much beer off as we can. If you're yeah. brewing every six weeks, mm-hmm. does that mean if you've got, just say you had your four core beers, you're mm-hmm. brewing that one beer every Oh, do my math for me. Where every four months is that? Was it six months? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yep. Pretty. It, it can be like that. Yeah. Um. I mean that do, that does mean though that you know the the beer could be sold out for a month or or so. Okay. Uh, right. For us, just the volumes that we're moving and um, we're trying to increase our distribution, but being a two man operation, that's probably our biggest challenge um you know we've talked yep. about all the production of the beer so far as far as gypsy brewing but i think sales in commercial brewing is uh, almost 50 percent, if not more <laughs> of the business and yeah. um it's the side that i enjoy the the least uh for yep. me i for, to, for me to walk into a bottle shop and try and flog my own beer it's uh it's it can be challenging for me just uh um, so luckily Kev's got a bit of the sales gift. Um, okay. so he's, yep. he's, he does a great job of, of that side of the business for us. And, and we're aiming to increase our, our, you know, stockists so that it's easier for us to kind of do a batch, send nearly all of it out. So all the beers fresh available straight away. Yeah. And, and that would then also means if we're selling it quicker, we can brew more, brew more styles more often, have a bigger range of beer. And you know, give the people what they want, really. So yeah. that's part. Were of you goal. in? Were you in kegs before COVID hit? We we did pack. We packed our. We we decided just happened to do two pallets of our hazy pale about two weeks before COVID hit. Uh, we thought, oh yeah, this hazy pale is getting pretty popular. How about we do you know two pallets of kegs and a whole pallet, two pallets of car of cans, and then everything shut down. And we just. <laughs> So we were in talks with some of the canning guys like, oh, should we go send send these kegs off to get them can, uh, packed into cans? Um, but we ended up holding on to them because we already had a few pallets of cans, which were moving fine. And we, we keep all our beer in a cold store facility. So the beer was being looked after. Um, so, yeah, we we basically had to – um, sell those kegs when everyone else was selling those kegs when things started opening back up here in South Australia. We were lucky that <clears throat> we did get to open up um, yeah. probably a little bit sooner than some other places. Um, but it was it was um, an interesting time. You know, keg, keg prices went a little bit crazy then because everyone had surplus. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but luckily, like, I, I tried the beers. They, were, they only ended up being... Um, four months oldish and cold stored it really was fine luckily yep. the, the beer held up well and we managed to move it and we did a we, we tried to do a good price to help the the pubs um you know get back on their feet and be yeah, able for to sure. trade sure. yeah um we're talking about the, the graphic design before I, I also think you've got a really nice looking website and i just was wondering um how quickly after you got up and running did you start with the with the online shop, you know, mm-hmm. sell, selling direct to customers, or was that a COVID thing? 
No, we did it pretty much from day one. So, yep. um, yeah, I, I built that site and put the store up because basically it didn't cost any more for me to throw the store page up. Um, good and, old Squarespace. Yeah, good old Squarespace, nice and easy, a few <laughs> clicks and it's up. Um, yeah. And, you know, it's there if people want it. We don't do huge volumes through it. Um, okay. But, um, it is pretty pretty good to to put a new beer, new release up there and it gets snapped up by you know the people on our on our mailing list they sign Are up you saying they, you're going to be creating some hype beers soon to try and get that snapped well, up quicker I don't, I, don't, I don't control the hype train it, it, you know it has a mind of its own i do <laughs> get ruined it? by a few of the local brewers here that i'm turning into a little bit of a hype beer maker <laughs> um, but honestly i just make the beers that i love and that i wish i could get my hands on more often you know i i'm personally a huge fan of you know, range and deeds and Mr. Banks yep. and mountain culture. But bloody hell, if you're not at your computer at, you know, midday on a Oh, Friday, no, it's crazy. I've got shit know, to do. Exactly. I, don't have <laughs> I love their beer. And luckily I've got some mates who've managed to snag most of the releases and I'll try a beer here and there. Yeah. Um, yeah. But to, honestly, for me, it's easier for me to make <laughs> beers that are like, you know, I'm not going to say they're the same as those guys, but they're, they're styles in similar vein that I really like. Yep. Um, so I, I make them in, you know, um, you know, some like where our Nordic hazy IPA, somehow it just struck a chord and that one cool. just kind of blew us away. Um, so if we can, if we can keep making beers that that people like as much as the Nordic, that'll keep me happy. So that's yeah, the goal. Yeah, nice. nice. Um, you know, we're talking tonight about, you know, the trade-offs with Gypsy Brewing and, you know, um, the risks and all that sort of thing. I mean, if you had your own bricks and mortar stainless steel right now, I'm yeah. tipping things would be a little bit tougher on you than what they, they currently – I'm not saying they're not tough right now, but mm-hmm. had you been a brand-new brewery, you know, 12, 18 months in sort of thing with a, with a full-on – stainless setup mm-hmm. shit it could have been some sleepless nights hey 100 percent. like we we know kind of how lucky we are to not have those overheads um you know to manage um in in what's been happening lately um so and 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 kind of what we're aiming for for our own tap room is also been a bit of a slow burn because of that too because we you know you never know what's going to happen around the corner um but, you know, one of the things we did while COVID was on was you know, I, I've been helped by so many of the breweries around Adelaide, you know, not just the ones we've contracted with, kind of, I, I know most of them um, and, you know, the advice over the years and stuff to get me where I am, I'm, you know, forever grateful. So I actually put together what we called the Heaps Good Indie Beer Pack um, during COVID, which was a a mixed carton of, of 24 beers from 12 local breweries here, local yep, independent breweries. Yep, I saw that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. So, so, you know, just a way for those guys that had their tap room shut down to, to move a bit of stock and, you know, for, for the punters that were, you know, in isolation or avoiding going out, whatever they were doing, it was yep. a, a carton of beer delivered to their door and that was really well received and, um, you know, it, it, I think it helped. It is, is the smallest I could do to really help, you know, the other breweries around town here with a little bit of cash flow during that time. Um, but, yeah, you know, fingers crossed, you know, things stay steady. We hope so. Yeah. And, and we're aiming to open our tap room by, you know, by January or February next year, hopefully. Oh, and, cool. Uh, yeah, then, and we'll do that ourselves. Do you feel like – 
in your head there was a, like a clock ticking from the time that you started that you said, oh, you know, there's going to be a point in time where enough will be enough and we have to lay down some roots and open up this tap room. Yeah. Was there a time frame you thought you had to have it done by? Um, not, not specifically, but you definitely have been feeling that pressure pretty much from day one because I didn't yeah. want to fall into just being that Gypsy Brewer um, yep. brand because I yep. think there's just massive value to be able to have that tap room that people can come oh, for sure. With, you know, you know, talk to them face to face. I know I always got a kick out of meeting the brewer. Um, if the brewer is pouring the beer, that's the best thing for me. So I'm hoping to be able to do that myself. Um, we've been looking at warehouses, you know, since we started the first batch um, and just nothing really came up as far as location, size and price. But we have found one in the last month that we're currently very, very close to locking down. Um, cool. and, and if we get that, then, um, it will be the, uh, you know, all systems go to, to fit that out and get it going. So tap room or tap room with brewery? Tap room with brewery. So we've actually, yep. not many people know this, uh, it might be a bit of an exclusive. Oh, look, I'm always getting exclusives yeah. on this podcast, mate. <laughs> we, we've actually, we actually purchased the original Big Shed Brewery, their, their original kit. So, oh, cool. um, so that's sitting at their, their old place at the moment and yep. we've, we've used it for a couple of the recent batches um, ourselves. Um, but yeah, it's sitting there. Taking it for a test drive. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, and it made perfect sense for us because it's one we've used ourselves. We know the team there. So when we take it to our own spot, you know, they're only a phone call away. Um, yeah. And cool. it, it just happened to come up at the right time. So, so we've actually got that ready to go. Um, it's just finding a home for it. You know what? Tonight we've been talking about lessons and insights and how to do this and how to do that. But I think you've just um, proved the one of the most important things in this industry is relationships make the world go around because without your relationships, you wouldn't be doing any of this stuff, would you? You wouldn't have this brewery that, you're, that you want to put into a new warehouse. You wouldn't have learned how to do this. It's just relationships. It's so important, isn't it? Absolutely. Um, and I, They I teach you that at TAFE? <laughs> no, I don't think they do a, sub, a session on networking, but um, they should. You know, they bloody I mean, should. They, they, it really, really is important. And um, you know, but I, I think the good thing is, is that if 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 someone's thinking about starting their own brand, you know, they're probably already hanging out at breweries and getting to know the local brewers. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you know, there was that kind of weird period for me where I kind of went from that punter behind the bar to that punter who's talking about maybe starting a brewery to, you know, that punter that's actually asking, "Hey, can I brew here now?" and um, making that transition because I still remember. I still remember. I went to the launch party for for Big Shed at the Weedy um, when they launched ah. back, and whenever that was twenty fourteen or something. And I, I distinctly remember that night. And and now you know I'm I'm working alongside those guys. It's it really is a dream come true. And and you know going to their launch party inspired me. I had we had our launch party at the Weedy too, which was mm-hmm. um, you know that was almost. The, the, the peak for me from day one to the fact that I had my beers on tap at the wheat sheaf was yep. actually unbelievable. So I've been really lucky that, you know, and that was another relationship thing. The weedy is my local and you know, I'd been going oh, for cool. years anyway. So I'd kind of gotten friendly with Jade and when, when the time came, she was gracious enough to let us, let us be there. So that was fantastic. Nice. nice. Yeah. What, what, what have we missed tonight in terms of, uh, 
Gypsy Brewing 101. Um, I think that's what I'm going to call this episode. I think it's snappy. Yeah. It's got a good vibe about it. <laughs> no, it works for me. Um, I think that's that's pretty much you know most of it. I think I think there's a there's a big section on on selling your beer, wholesale pricing. Yeah, I um, yeah you know, I think that competitiveness and stuff like that. Yeah. Yep, and probably um, how to get your beer into the big guys. That's again. Yeah. Um, tap contracts and um, deciding like you know, one of the one of the things you need to decide early is um, whether you do cans or bottles. And then once yep. you do that, how much of a batch do you can? How much do you do kegs? Yeah. Uh, what what bars around you uh, are craft beer friendly, knowing that you'll be able to potentially sell them a keg? Um, you know, we we personally go for almost ninety percent small pack cans and maybe ten yep. percent kegs. Um, just because so much know, competition for that one yeah. spare tap at a contracted yep. venue, and, and yeah. there's, there's way more bottle shops than there are crafty pubs. Yeah, so there's there's just a bigger market for us to sell cartons of cans than there is to sell. Yeah, and I and I, I don't know this if this is true at all, but I, I think you know I think of myself as a craft beer drinker. You know, I'm getting to that point in my life. I'm 43. I'm starting to sort of. To be apps, you know, get get myself financially set up, and I've got you know some money to spend on beers, but I I don't go out because I've got kids and that mm-hmm. sort of thing. So mm-hmm. I'm a, I'm an at home drinker, and I really enjoy you know spending some money on on beers. So you know, I think there's that whole market there that's probably maybe even a little bit more lucrative than trying to get that one tap at the the craft beer pub. Yeah, and if you think about when you're trying to build a brand. How how many people take photos of the tap decals and how many people take <laughs> yes. photos of cans in their hands? Yep, that's know? a great and point, mate. That is great on Facebook and Instagram. It's those cans. So yep. So that was another thing for us as far as brand building and awareness. Um, yep. It's best to get the beer physically in people's hands in their houses, and then it's going to go up on the socials. And that helps spread the word. Beautiful. Well, with that, mate, we might leave it there. I'm hoping we've done two things tonight. I hope we uh, have helped uh, open people's eyes to uh, Shapeshifter Brewing Company. Uh, They can jump on. Again, we'll leave the the link in the show notes. They can jump on your online store and uh, uh, buy a few cans Mm because there's a few there I've seen this afternoon. And on the flip side, hopefully you've been able to help some of those out there that are uh, home brewers looking to go pro and wondering whether Gypsy Brewing is for them. It, yeah. uh, it's been it's been great, mate. Sensational. I love what you're doing um, in so many different ways, and I think it's really great the way you you're giving a bit back to uh, you know the people that are coming after you, so that yeah. you can uh, pass on some of your expertise like like others have done previously for you. It's awesome. Yeah, and you know, and I'll say that to anyone listening that got any questions, feel free to you know DM us on Instagram or message us on Facebook, flick us an email. Always happy to answer some questions on on how it works behind the scenes. Happy to share the knowledge. James McCall, it has been a pleasure. Cheers to great beers. Cheers. Thanks, mate. Thanks for listening. I really hope you enjoyed the episode. If you have an interesting beer story and want to be a guest on the Beer Healer interviews, send me a message via my Facebook page. And once again, if you want to help out the show, a simple rate and review on Apple Podcasts or a follow, like or share on any other podcast service will do the trick. I'll catch you soon.